This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy, celebrity interviews or news, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue. And guess what? Now you can call them on your auto insurance too with the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. It works just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance and they'll show you coverage options that fit your budget. Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. You're listening to Around the Dial. Your one-stop shop for sports talk's best moments every day. Here's your host, CBS Sports Radio's Damon Amendolara. It's Around the Dial, the best in sports talk for Friday, January the 4th. DA with you. And while the playoff teams prepare for their games on Saturday and Sunday in the NFL, and the other four await their winners, the winners of those games that they'll play their opponents next weekend, there's a team that crashed and burned with Super Bowl aspirations midseason to being out of the entire thing altogether. And now that's the story of the NFL. The Pittsburgh Steelers are on the outside looking in, waiting until September of 2019. And so every day there's new story. Every day there's new drama. And today we learn that the Steelers have fired one of their defensive coaches. Not defensive coordinator Keith Butler, a wildly unpopular figure in Western PA, but linebackers coach Joey Porter, who's a legendary player for the Pittsburgh Steelers, who had moved to the sideline to be one of the assistant coaches under Mike Tomlin. On 93.7, the fan in Pittsburgh, the guys of the Cook and Joe show discussed the firing of Porter. Joey Porter fired as outside linebackers coach. Here's the statement from Mike Tomlin. I'll read it in its entirety. I have informed outside linebackers coach Joey Porter that we will not renew his contract. These are difficult decisions when it comes to someone like Joey, who has meant a lot to this organization as both a player and a coach. I want to thank Joey for his coaching efforts over the past five years on our defensive staff. We wish him the best in his future coaching career. Your thoughts? This one was easy. I mean, easy. Jarvis Jones failed under his watch. I think Bud Dupree has failed under his watch. Now, you know, if we're going to blame him for not helping those guys, did he help T.J. Watt? Yeah, T.J. Watt's really grown into a star, but I also think T.J. Watt's something of a self-made guy. His, you know, the, the coaches talk about his motor all the time, his work ethic. Uh, so I'll give him credit for Watt, but the other two guys under his watch uh, just not good enough. I have such mixed feelings about Joey because I covered him as a player, and I watched him do a lot of knucklehead things, but I also saw him be one of the great teammates that I've ever seen. I mean, he organized the uh, in the locker room the, the jersey tribute for Dick LeBeau when they played Detroit late in the year. Yeah. LeBeau's jerseys all around. LeBeau cried. That was Porter's idea. Porter held back everybody when they went out on the field for Super Bowl Forty. So Jerome could get the spotlight on himself. That was his idea. He was such a great teammate in so many ways. Yet he's done a lot of knucklehead things. Um, I, I, to me, this is no surprise uh, because of just the performance of the outside linebackers. But uh, more telling will be if something happens to Keith Butler because he and Tomlin go back a long way and back where Tomlin worked for Keith Butler. Would it make sense to to fire Joey first and then Keith Butler? Would you want to announce the big one first or no? Do you read anything into that? I don't know. It could just be it. I guess this could be it. But uh, 
Uh, you know, it's not usual for teams to to go. Okay, we'll announce one today, one tomorrow, one next week. That's what I'm you, thinking. You know, here. I don't know. I you, think this might usually, be it. This might be it. Usually, you know, they'll they'll say we're gonna have three openings on our staff. He's out. He's out. And he's out. Uh, I don't know. This maybe, is unusual. Maybe. Maybe. I don't know. We, I, I can't speak for Tomlin here. No, but here's what what else I would make of this. I think it was a big year for Bud Dupree, for Joey Porter in relation to Bud Dupree. And there wasn't the necessary giant leap forward that needed to happen. But I also think there's another dynamic here, Ron. And that is that a lot of people saw Joey Porter as Mike Tallman's right-hand man. You would get some of that sound on the sidelines. And on stuff that had nothing to do with linebackers, he would be talking to Joey Porter all the time. I think he's viewed as Tomlin's guy, good friend. And, and, well, and, and this, guys... this may be put out there to appease people. In, in some kind of way. Yeah, but again, I don't I I, I just don't know that anyone's going to say, "Wow, Tomlin's really going out on a limb here by doing this." Yeah, I think your your feeling is right on. I think people thought they were close, but I think he's really close to Keith Butler too. They go back so far. Well, this that's A. B, this isn't enough if this is going to be it. This isn't enough. That, well, let's that, give him a chance, but yeah, yeah, sure. I would agree. I'm saying if this is it, I would agree. Leave the leave the defense in the hands of Tomlin and Butler. I, I'm not game for that at all. Almost like a sacrificial lamb here if this is it, right? Again, I don't look at it as a sacrificial lamb. I think it's a well-deserved firing. So um, you fire Too, uh, maybe a you little know, late. Keith Butler might be more of a sacrificial lamb if he didn't have enough say on the defense than Joey Porter. Yeah. Um, I, I just think Joey didn't get it done with the outside linebackers. That's all. So what are the Steelers trying to do by firing Porter? I think the first thing is it's a message sent that that was unacceptable, that changes will be made. That's the first thing. I'm sure ownership held Mike Tomlin's feet to the fire and said, we have to make changes. Where can we make them? I think the second part is what they mentioned there, that Porter is probably seen in the locker room or around that organization as the right-hand man of Mike Tomlin and that things got too loose. Players were allowed to be too much of themselves and that ended up haunting the team. And let's face it, Joey Porter, while maybe a great teammate, also created distractions by knuckle-headed moves. And I think that's what they're trying to clean up. And so getting rid of a guy in Joey Porter who was loud and brash and perhaps a distraction as a player could be a symbol of what they want the Steelers to go back to being. The question is, does Keith Butler now get the zig next? And in my estimation, He's got to if the Steelers' moves have any teeth. The next part of this offseason is what to do with Antonio Brown. Apparently, Antonio wants out that he has filed a trade request with the organization. On 93.7, the fan in Pittsburgh, the PM team had Jason Lock and Four, CBS Sports Insider, on to discuss why A.B. went AWOL in the first place. So, based on your information, what was the reason for Antonio Brown quitting on the team this week? I heard there was an incident with with him and Ben, and that he missed uh, things he was supposed to report to, one of which I guess obviously now we know is this uh, the MRI that he never went for, and that he essentially went AWOL after this incident. 
The exact time frame, you know, I don't know. Obviously, Coach Tomlin cleared up some of that today when he kind of went through the whole process and said there was a period of time where they couldn't get in touch with him and they didn't really know what the situation was or what was going on with Antonio Brown. But this benching had to do – well, it was a benching, in fact, and not um, – this wasn't a medical decision. This was something that was um, – based off of Antonio Brown, by my count, for the third time this year, essentially blowing off mandatory things and doing his own thing. Um, It happened in training camp, it happened during the season, and it happened at the end of the season. And you obviously said you stand by at 1,000% that a trade request was made. The semantics here are interesting to me. It was a request, not a demand, correct? Yes, Okay. exactly. What's that exactly mean, Jason? Uh, It means, hey, I... I don't want to be here. And also, like, I'm not saying that Antonio Brown did it. He has an agent for a reason. Mm-hmm. The agent obviously called Tomlin. The agent has everybody's number in that building. The agent also has my number. I have not heard any pushback from anybody in that organization or from Antonio Brown about anything I reported. Not boo. Not from anybody's camp. Not from any individuals. Not from anybody who represents the individuals. So, trust me, I've been doing this a long time. Um and nobody's saying a peep about anything I, I said publicly or privately. Now, I understand where Coach Tomlin's coming from, and even if you parse out all his words, I don't think there's any point where anybody is saying that, oh, yeah, there's no way that Drew Rosenhaus called people in this organization and said, hey, just let you know my guy doesn't want to be there next year. Jason. A trade demand is I'm never playing for your team again. Get me the bleep out of here. I'll hold out of whatever it takes. I've played my last snap as a Pittsburgh Steeler. And as I reported at the time, this is not what that was. But it was conveyed to them that my, you know, he's not comfortable here. He's not comfortable with the coach. He doesn't like the way things are lining up with the quarterback. It seems like people are always on everybody else's side when these things happen. It's for the best that he play elsewhere. He doesn't want to be here. Do you think that Antonio Brown has played his last down in Pittsburgh? Oh, I, I don't necessarily think that. Uh, there's 21 million reasons why that any trade would be difficult. We're really hours into a off-season that will be measured in months and will be more than a half year. And the Roonies, as a rule, don't really capitulate to this stuff anyway. The question is, how serious are these trade requests? Is this, as JLC says, a desire to go elsewhere or an adamant suggestion, an adamant statement, rather, from A.B., I will not play here. That's the big difference. But as I mentioned earlier in the week, I just don't think if you're the Steelers, you can really trade Antonio Brown. There's a $21 million cap hit if he's not on your roster. Why would you pay $21 million or not have that money to spend against the cap and he plays in another city? I think Mike Tomlin has a challenge cut out for him. He's going to have to restabilize the coaching staff and try to convince A.B. to play nice. With coaching openings all over the NFL, how about the name Hugh Jackson? Hugh could be in line to take over the Bengals' job after Marvin Lewis was released of his duties or perhaps walked away in his own. Who knows who made that decision? But Carson Palmer played under Hugh Jackson at a number of stops across the NFL, and Carson joined Boomer and Geo on the WFAN Morning Show in New York. And we had a rare defense of Hugh Jackson. Carson and I have, do have a lot in pro, uh, common. Not only did we play for the Bengals, he played for the, the Raiders. I played for the Cardinals. He mm-hmm. played for the Cardinals. I played for the Jets. So essentially, he played in his version of the Bermuda Triangle as well. Right. So yep. uh, <laughs> realizing that you had Hugh Jackson as a coach for you out there in Oakland, 
Uh, are you? Sh- will you? Sh- are you kind of like you? I guess right. I I, I love Hugh. Um, I've known Hugh since I was 16. He recruited me to USC back in the day, um, and he gets a lot of. I think what went wrong is when he stopped being able to call plays. He's a phenomenal play caller. His play action game is unreal. His timing, his rhythm, his screen game is great. But once he went to Cleveland, then he had to hire Todd Haley, and he had a run game coordinator, a, a pass game coordinator. Once he kind of diluted himself out of actually calling plays, that was that was one of his great strengths. And so I'm, I'm looking looking forward, hopefully, him getting another shot at calling plays. It sounds NFL. like it's uh, could be Minnesota with Mike Zimmer, a former buddy of his from your days. Zim back knows. In, right, he knows, right? Zim knows. He coached with, you know, Zim was the D coordinator. Uh, Hugh was the offense coordinator for a little bit and then the receiver coach. And, and um so he know he's very familiar with him. He's practiced against him. He's prepared against him. As you know, you go through training camp. I just and keep OTAs. wondering how a guy like three thirty six and one. How does he keep getting jobs? And then of course he goes back to Cincinnati, look, and look, they both and they and they lose to Cleveland twice. I know, I know. And but Baker look, look at the jobs. Baker though. Mayfield's out there staring him down on the sideline. I know. I know. I, but, but look at the look at the opportunity in in Oakland. It was a lose lose situation. Al Davis had just died. The, the organization was in turmoil. Right. Then he goes to Cleveland at, you know, the tail end of one of the worst runs in the National Football League when that place was a mess. And, you know, obviously it doesn't help that as soon as he leaves that the team takes off and wins games. But, again, when when he was taking uh, – it sounds like the, the play-calling duties were taken out of his hands – you know that's one of his. That's one of his greatest strengths. Well, is well, I mean, maybe he's better as just an offensive coordinator as opposed to a head coach. Who knows? I guess we'll find out. So you're here for FedEx air and ground. Before we get to those players, uh, do you keep an eye on Sam Darnold? Absolutely. All right. So Absolutely. give Jet fans your assessment of what you saw here the last part of the year from Sam. Oh, I, I I'm a big Sam fan. Um, you know, I, I think obviously they don't have a lot on offense. As, you know, you compare mm-hmm. you compare um, his situation with with Baker. Baker's got you know Landry and and a great offensive line. He's got a, a defense that plays really really good football. Um, he's got playmakers around him. The the tight end that they draft in the first round from Joku. Miami and Joku. Um, you know, you can go on and on down the list. There's good players all around him. Once the once the Jets build this thing up and have some some real threats on the offensive side of the ball, you're going to see Sam take off. Hugh is always a whipping boy, so kind of refreshing to hear somebody come to bat for Hugh. And look, maybe that is the reality, that Hugh was perhaps a victim of poor circumstance in Oakland with the passing of Al Davis in Cleveland with the situation he inherited. But I think what Boomer said there was right. Perhaps Hugh is best suited as an offensive coordinator and just not as an NFL head coach. Hugh as a play caller, I could see. Hugh as a head coach, I'm sorry, I just can't. In Boston, people are wondering, will Josh McDaniels or Brian Flores, one of the Patriots' assistant coaches, get head jobs in the offseason? Specifically, McDaniels is so interesting. Josh, of course, was the head coach in Denver and last year took the Colts' job, assembled a staff, was set to be announced by the Colts with a press conference, and then suddenly bailed out of the 11th hour. This year, is there interest across the league in another hiring of Josh McDaniels as a head coach on WEEI in Boston, Mutt and Callahan had Adam Schefter discuss the latest. Only one interview set up right now for Josh McDaniels, Adam. I expected more. Any theories as to why he has not been a hotter commodity early on in the coaching search based on uh, his history and these coaching opportunities? 
Well, we had two of the eight teams reach out to him, right? You had Green Bay, which set up an interview for today, and you had the Cincinnati Bengals that he declined. Now, there was some speculation, my understanding is, that, that Cleveland was out there. Cleveland has not put in a slip. He has not expressed any interest in the Cleveland job. So Cleveland is just kind of out there. Um, who knows if anything will ever happen there, but there's been nothing from his end and nothing from the Browns' end at this time to make you think that something is going to happen there. So th- that that doesn't seem to be an option right now. Now, again, teams sometimes go through interviews and decide, you know what, let's go take a look at this guy, or they change their minds. So that hasn't happened yet. So it's the two out of the eight. Are you surprised, though, only two of the eight, given his uh, offensive prowess here with Brady and his hit, clearly hiring an agent again, wanting to get back as a head coach at some point? I don't think I'm overly surprised. I mean, I think you can look at it on a case-by-case basis. I think there are some people who have been turned off by what's happened in the past, but there are other people who are absolutely not. They still recognize what a great coach he is, what a great job he's done there. So it's just, it's just a matter of preference and taste. He's not going to be for everybody, and everybody's not going to be for him, as we saw with Cincinnati, right? The Bengals reach out. He's not interested. Uh, a team like the Dolphins and Jets, I think they recognize that he's probably not going to leave New England to go in division to those particular right. situations. So really, we, we've now taken Cleveland, Jets, Browns, Arizona knows he's not going there. Like, people turn down Arizona. They don't even bother. And that leaves two others with openings that have not called him. Who are the last two? Let's see. Um, Tampa. Tampa, which, I, again, I haven't heard very much about Tampa. And we're missing one other one. Denver. Uh, I, I was saying, yeah, well, he's not going back to Denver. That's the one, Denver. Well, th- there you go. There you so, go. Yeah, he's he's had, he had so, his run with Denver. So when, when you break it down like that, no, it's not surprising that there's only two, right? I right. mean, not going to Denver, not going to the AFC East, not going to Arizona. I guess the surprise would be Cleveland, his hometown, and they haven't reached out to him. And everyone seems to think that's the best job out there, which is amazing, Adam. Are you hearing that around the league, that the Browns are the best job available? Well, you know, here's the thing. Jerry, the fact that we're even talking about the Browns in that regard tells you that the perception on that franchise for the time being has shifted, right? So, I mean, I, I still think there are people out there that are concerned about working with Jimmy Haslam, the owner, with his history and some of the issues with the family there, um, you know, with Pilot J. Uh, what is it? Somebody said to me yesterday, I'm looking for the exact text, text but um, uh, uh, nobody at Pilot J would ever believe that someone evaluated by Jimmy and D could last a long time. It's true over many years at three institutions. Anything's possible, um, but that's not the way that the Browns have operated in the past because people have talked about staying there. I've said that. Like, you could be there with Baker Mayfield for a decade. But the Haslam history has not been to keep people for a decade. So I think the job, the fact that we're talking about it the way we are, is something that is a credit to the Browns franchise that they've reversed the perception that existed, that it was a place that nobody wanted to go, whereas now it is a place that people do want to go. To say it's the best job, it it might be. It might be. (laughs) 
Now, this is kind of interesting because we have seen reports around the NFL that apparently Josh McDaniels has serious interest in the Browns job. And yet, here's Adam Schefter saying he doesn't have interest in the Browns job. So, which one is it? Who knows? I just think it's interesting that last year, McDaniels took the Colts job and then backed out and went back to the Patriots. And we all assumed, well, he must have been promised the Patriots head coaching job. Well, now suddenly... Apparently, he's interested in coaching perhaps again or going on these interviews. So what is that about? Number one, maybe people around the NFL circles don't think that he bailed because he's got a guarantee to have the head coaching job in New England. Maybe they assume or they know that he bailed for a different reason. Perhaps he bailed for a Colts-related reason. Perhaps he bailed because of the Deflategate bad blood between Belichick, or perhaps that has had to do with concerns or doubts about the health of his quarterback in Andrew Luck. Perhaps it's something about the owner in Jim Ursay. Whatever the case is, it seems like McDaniels has some other options and maybe he's willing to sniff around. In Washington, more fallout after a terrible football season once again. And John Feinstein, our old friend here from CBS Sports Radio, joined the sports junkies on 106.7 The Fan and he taking a little bit of satisfaction to the fact that finally people are coming around to just how awful Dan Snyder is as an owner. All right, so we're going to start the uh, the session off with what in the world is bothering John in the world of sports? Oh, boy. What in the world is bothering me? Um I I don't right now I'm I'm fairly content. I'm sort of enjoying the fact that people are finally coming around to what a jerk Dan Snyder is here in this town. It's only taken 20 years. Yeah, uh, a friend, <laughs> yeah that's all. Just 20 that's years. That's all, yeah. By a friend way, of mine we just had, had breakfast JP. with David Marinus yesterday. Right. Um, not to drop a name, the guy who wrote uh, When Pride Still Mattered. I mean, one of the great writers of our generation and a longtime friend. And he was talking about the fact that I was sort of on Snyder <clears throat> right from the beginning. And uh, it's taken a while for that to become the majority opinion. Uh, in this town, taking a lot of losses and a lot of other obvious missteps. So I guess I'm happy about that. I, you know, this time of year, I am very, very into college basketball, even when I'm not working on a book. And there are a lot of teams that I follow closely. And for example, on Wednesday night, Army had a 37-13 halftime lead on Bucknell playing at home. Uh And and I like Nathan Davis, the Bucknell coach, but you know I'm an Army guy. And they lost the game 64-63. That bothered me. That's a really, really tough loss. That's a bad loss. That's a bad loss. And uh, and there are William and – I'm working on a piece for Sunday on a kid from William & Mary who's a second-year law student, believe it or not. And he he plays. He's he's like their sixth man. Um, And they lost last night at Delaware. It would have helped me a little bit. Uh, if William and Mary had won that game, so but but nothing major right now. I mean, I'm kind of looking forward to the NFL playoffs. Uh, I don't have a horse in the race in any way. I'm going to go to the Ravens game on Sunday. Uh, I think it'll be a good game. Um, but uh, there's nothing overwhelming other than the normal, the usual um, that that goes on in sports, the hypocrisy that we see mm-hmm. on an almost daily basis in the NCAA and other things. And the Islanders are playing well, which makes me happy. They are. Um, getting back to the Snyder Eight out thing, of nine. Getting back to the Snyder thing before we talk about the games this weekend. Um, you know, I was out last week, so I didn't get your your take on this. What were your your thoughts on him firing 
the business guys who we brought in, La Famina, Steve Ziff, and those guys who are well, really, really smart guys, and they do a great job, but he didn't allow right. them to do that They job. actually told him the truth about what was going on. I guess well, they cost him their job. And that's what I said, Jason, was this goes back to Marty Schottenheimer. When, when he said to him, when he hired him, okay, you'll be in charge of football, mm-hmm. and I, I'm going to stay out of the way, unlike what he did with North Turner. Um, and uh, and after a year, even though Schottenheimer started 0 and 5, and they turned it around to be 8 and 8, he went to I can't do this anymore. Yeah. You know, I have to be involved in the football decision. So we fired him, as we all know. And Schottenheimer was a pretty good coach. Um, and again, he hired, as you said, Jason, smart guys, and said, "All right, you know, our, our business plan isn't working. The the Bruce Allen claim that we're winning off the field is not exactly true." And La Famina and company came in, and they were being honest about what was going on. They, they finally admitted there was no longer a, a waiting list. Um, they announced at least close to real attendance figures. They tried to upgrade things for the fans. And I guess Snyder and Al, it came down, uh, my guess is it came down to uh, La Famina and his guys saying Bruce Allen needed to get out of the way and let them do their jobs. And Bruce Allen still has Snyder's ear clearly because he sits next to him all the time and says, you're the greatest, you're the greatest, you're the greatest. And so it was Bruce or, or the professionals and the professionals got fired, which is pretty typical of this franchise, isn't it? Feinstein saying people are finally figuring out that he's a jerk. I can't believe it took people this long. I, I just assumed that everybody always knew that Snyder was a jerk, that Snyder was impetuous, and Snyder was reactionary and a bully and blind to reality. I just had kind of assumed that that was conventional wisdom. I I suppose not. I like that quote by Feinstein, the professionals were fired. Isn't that the way it always goes in Washington? And so it was Bruce or or the professionals, and the professionals got fired, which is pretty typical of this franchise, isn't it? And that's why they continue to just spin their wheels. And finally, we wrap up with a basketball clip. Earlier in the week, LeBron James made headlines because he called himself the greatest player of all time. He said when he beat the 73-win Golden State Warriors, he considered himself the GOAT. We all know what the insinuation there is, that he put himself above Michael Jordan, which is the never-ending debate around here, around everywhere, MJ versus LeBron, LeBron versus MJ. So, Gary Parrish, our friend on Memphis's 92.9, discussed what he thought it meant that LeBron considered himself the GOAT. I don't think he's trying to sell anything or sell himself. Like, LeBron James doesn't need to do that. He's the arguably the biggest star in this country from an athletics perspective and one of the the most famous in the world. Um, So I don't think he has to sell himself. Like LeBron James is is a headline no matter what he does or what he says. He doesn't need to say things to get attention. He just needs to be LeBron James to get attention. I I think more more likely he's just talking. And this is what we've seen more and more. You know, it's with that barbershop, you know, documentary Mm -hmm. series that they do. It's just LeBron James – basically reaching a point in his career where he will say exactly what's on his mind, whether it is politically popular, whether it's uh, popular from a sports perspective, whether it alienates him in theory from a certain segment of this population. You know, to be so anti-Donald Trump, I know doesn't – it's a very easy thing for people to do today, but it does alienate you from a, a significant portion of the United States. Like you can say whatever you want about the president of the United States, but he did get elected 
by citizens of the United States of America. <laughs> and so there are there is an audience for Donald Trump. There are people who love him. I have friends who love him. I have relatives who love him. And so when LeBron James is so outspoken against him, it does alienate him from, from part of the country, from those people, from my friends, from my relatives who um, are, are people who voted for Donald Trump and will probably vote for him again. And yet LeBron James does not care. You know, in the world where people sometimes tell you you're endorsing products, you are selling shoes, you need to try to stay in the middle as much as possible, LeBron James just abandoned that at some point over the past few years. He just decided, I will say whatever I want to say whenever I want to say it. I'll do whatever I want to do whenever I want to do it. And people can like me or not like me, but that is not going to influence the words that come out of my mouth or the things that I do on a daily basis. And I think this is just another example of that. It's just not political. It's strictly basketball. But the question is, why is LeBron James saying that he's the GOAT? Again, that's what Danny Ainge asked earlier today, Boston Celtics president on radio. The answer is because he just says whatever he wants to today. And, and, and beyond that, he believes it. Like, I do believe that yeah. LeBron James believes he's the greatest basketball player ever. And the reason he probably believes that is because it's very easy to make the case. So is he just talking? I think part of this for LeBron is that he's been stung by losing these last two Warriors series of the NBA Finals in embarrassing fashion. I think the fact that he got swept and lost in five over the last two years really, really, really hurts him. And I think that he is very aware of his reputation. He is very proud of his reputation as a winner. And I think the last two years, he worries, he's paranoid, that what he did three years ago has now perhaps been lost to history because the Warriors have come back and pounded him. That's where I think he comes from on this. I think having to go back and remind everybody, hey, they were a 73-win team. Hey, they were really good. Hey, we came back from down 3-1. Yeah, that was a moment that I was satisfied. That was a moment that I, that even I took a step back and I exhaled and said, you did something. I think that's where that comes from, from LeBron. I don't think it's very becoming of LeBron because, you know what, he's got plenty of defenders. He's got plenty of people that will go to bat for him about being the greatest of all time. I think that's just the type of thing that you let other people do because plenty of other people are doing it. But alas, LeBron, of course, plays by his own rules because LeBron understands he has his own rules. That's the best of sports talk from January the 4th. Next week, reaction to the first weekend of the NFL playoffs. We'll see you Monday, everyone. Thanks for listening to Around the Dial. Subscribe now for the best daily recap in sports talk on Radio.com or the Radio.com app. Hey, Rob Bradford here. I have set out on a mission with my good friends at FanDuel to prove what I have known for some time. Baseball isn't boring. Now I have a daily podcast to prove it with some of the most notable people in the baseball world screaming baseball isn't boring from the mountaintops or at least agreeing to come on our show. Players, managers, GMs, and yes, even the commissioner of baseball, Rob Manfred. It has been a constant wave of baseball's most powerful voices. So join the revolution. Subscribe and soak in baseball isn't boring. Listen on your Odyssey app or wherever you get your podcasts. You'll be glad you did.